most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, May 6th, 2022, the 471st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So after I posted the show yesterday, the news just kept coming out. Yesterday turned into a really big news day, especially toward the late afternoon, early evening. I mentioned on the show yesterday that during my process of recording, it was announced that Jen Psaki's last day as White House press secretary is next Friday. So she'll be stepping down and she will be replaced by Karine Jean-Pierre, who just happens to be married to or maybe just partnered with a CNN reporter named Suzanne Malveaux. And relationships like that are so good for transparency for the fake administration. It's so great to know that a reporter at one of the mainstream news outlets has such inside access to the administration. We're going to know what happens all the time now. What a blessing. Jen Psaki will no longer be able to mislead the nation. Now we have a woman installed as the new fake press secretary who's with a woman from mainstream media. Let the hard-hitting journalism commence. And it seems like Jen Psaki picked a great time to leave the administration because just yesterday she was sued by the attorney generals of Missouri and Louisiana. And I'm going to get into that case a little bit later. But great timing, Jen. But let's get into some bigger stuff. So in the afternoon yesterday, the FDA announced that it was limiting the use of the Johnson and Johnson, quote unquote, vaccine for COVID-19. And this is their press release. Today, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has limited the authorized use of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine to individuals 18 years of age and older for whom other authorized or approved COVID-19 vaccines are not accessible or clinically appropriate and to individuals 18 years of age and older who elect to receive the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine because they would otherwise not receive a COVID-19 vaccine. After conducting an updated analysis, evaluation, and investigation of reported cases, the FDA has determined that the risk of thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome 
a syndrome of rare and potentially life-threatening blood clots in combination with low levels of blood platelets with onset of symptoms approximately one to two weeks following administration of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine warrants limiting the authorized use of the vaccine. So they have updated their analysis. They have looked again at the information they already knew about and now they have decided that it is no longer a conspiracy theory that the COVID-19 vaccines cause blood clots. And for now, they're going to be more than happy just pushing Johnson and Johnson off the cliff and leaving Moderna and Pfizer there for now, even though those experimental gene therapies are absolutely just as dangerous and they've known about it for the entire time. But let's keep going. The FDA has determined that the known and potential benefits of the vaccine for the prevention of COVID-19 outweigh the known and potential risks for individuals 18 years of age and older for whom other authorized or approved COVID-19 vaccines are not accessible or clinically appropriate, and for individuals 18 years of age and older who elect to receive the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine because they would otherwise not receive a COVID-19 vaccine. So they're saying that despite this risk of blood clotting and despite all the other risks they're not allowing to be part of the central narrative yet, all the risks that are just still conspiracy theories, despite all that, it is still worth it to take this vaccine if you can't get one of the other vaccines. And who knows what they're basing this claim on? It certainly can't be the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine or the dangers of COVID because those things don't make sense at all. The vaccines are neither safe nor effective, and COVID-19 potentially kills one out of a thousand people who are infected with it, and that's according to the false tests. We recognize that the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine still has a role in the current pandemic response in the United States and across the global community. Our action reflects our updated analysis of the risk of TTS following administration of this vaccine and limits the use of the vaccine to certain individuals, said Peter Marks, MD, PhD, director of the FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research. And hey, Peter, it sounds like you're going to jail someday. Today's action demonstrates the robustness of our safety surveillance systems and our commitment to ensuring that science and data guide our decisions. We've been closely monitoring the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine and occurrence of TTS following its administration and have used updated information from our safety surveillance systems to revise the EUA. The agency will continue to monitor the safety of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine and all other vaccines. And as has been the case throughout the pandemic, we'll thoroughly evaluate new safety information. Yes, you've been so thorough up to this point, Peter Marks. We'll continue to trust you. The Janssen COVID-19 vaccine was authorized for emergency use on February 27th, 2021. 
On April 13th, 2021, the FDA and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced a recommended pause in administration of the vaccine to investigate six reported cases of TTS and to help ensure that healthcare providers were made aware of the potential for TTS and could plan for proper recognition and management due to the unique treatment required for TTS. And I think most people will probably remember that from last year when a big deal was made about the Johnson and Johnson shot, even though we knew the other shots were causing problems as well. Johnson and Johnson has always been the less favored of the vaccines. They want to get that mRNA in you. You get the one shot of Johnson and Johnson. And then when the booster periods came around, they said, you know what? Everybody should really get one of the mRNA ones. You got that Johnson and Johnson. What you need, you need a booster with the mRNA. And of course, they pretend that's much safer, much more effective. On April 23rd, 2021, following a thorough safety evaluation, including two meetings of the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, the FDA and the CDC lifted the recommended pause regarding the use of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine. The agencies confirmed a total of 15 cases of TTS had been reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, including the original six cases reported out of approximately 8 million doses administered. You see, so it's nothing. But also, they're relying on VAERS. We were all told that Relying on VAERS makes us conspiracy theorists. VAERS is just the place where any old person can put up their vaccine adverse event. We can't pay attention to those. Oh, people are just using VAERS to make the vaccine sound dangerous. They're not actually dangerous. You can't trust VAERS. That's what we were told again and again and again. And we know that the VAERS reporting system undercounts adverse events. And that was known before the COVID vaccine period. According to VAERS, we were seeing immediate anomalies, let's say, in vaccine adverse events. This was clearly the most dangerous vaccine of all time. And of course, it's not a vaccine. So back then, Paying attention to VAERS was a conspiracy theory. Now paying attention to VAERS is how the FDA and the CDC make decisions. These data, plus the deliberations and recommendations by the ACIP, helped with the FDA's assessment that the known and potential benefits of Janssen COVID-19 vaccine outweighed its known and potential risks in individuals 18 years of age and older. The available data suggested the chance of TTS occurring was remote. But investigation into the level of potential excess risk due to vaccination and specific risk factors continued. At the time, the fact sheet for healthcare providers administering vaccine was revised to include a warning pertaining to the risk of TTS, and the fact sheet for recipients and caregivers was also revised to include information about blood clots in combination with low blood platelets after receiving the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine. In December 2021, after reviewing updated vaccine effectiveness and safety data, the ACIP made a preferential recommendation for the use of mRNA COVID-19 vaccines over the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine in all persons 18 years of age and older in the United States. The ACIP recommended and CDC endorsed 
that the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine may be considered in some situations when a person has a contraindication to receipt of mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, when a person would otherwise remain unvaccinated for COVID-19 due to limited access to mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, and when a person wants to receive the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine, despite the safety concerns identified. So you got that? Despite having almost zero risk from COVID-19, unless you are a senior citizen with significant health problems, they still recommend you are better off taking the Johnson and Johnson Janssen COVID-19 quote unquote vaccine for any of those three reasons. You have a contraindication to an mRNA vaccine. And by the way, what are the contraindications? What sort of people are not supposed to take the mRNA vaccine? Why hasn't the news publicized that? Why have they only pushed the vaccines? When does the mainstream media ever cover an instance where someone should not take the mRNA vaccine? I pay pretty close attention and I guess I must have missed that. So the second instance is when you might otherwise remain unvaccinated because you don't have access to mRNA vaccines. It's still worth taking the one that can cause thrombosis. The third instance is when the person just wants to receive the Johnson and Johnson vaccine rather than the mRNA vaccine. So in all of those three instances, it is not them pushing the vaccine on you. It's the patient deciding to take that particular vaccine. So all of this sounds like, yeah, you know, it turns out that we gave you the wrong answer at the beginning. And now we have the right answer. And the right answer is that the shot just it's kind of dangerous. And yes, we are the agency tasked with making sure that dangerous medications don't go out to the public and we don't, you know, force people to be injected with them. But at least we're telling you now. And if you continue to decide to take it, we will still have zero liability because now we've told you that it's dangerous and we've made it extra clear that it's your choice. I mean, it was always your choice. That's the whole thing about the emergency use authorization. It has to be your choice. We actually can't mandate them. And we knew that the whole time. But hey, you guys don't need to listen to us. You need to listen to the television. The television will tell you you have to take the vaccine. But we're not going to say that. Our hands are clean. Here's the current status, according to the FDA. The FDA and CDC have continuously monitored for and investigated all suspected cases of TTS reported to VAERS. So a tiny fraction of the actual cases is what they're saying. In an updated analysis of TTS cases following administration of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine that were reported to VAERS through March 18th, 2022, the FDA and CDC have identified 60 confirmed cases, including nine fatal cases. The FDA has determined that the reporting rate of TTS is 3.23 per million doses of vaccine administered, and the reporting rate of TTS deaths is 0.48 per million doses of vaccine administered. 
So basically nobody, if you assume that VAERS has captured every single case. It should also be abundantly clear that a vaccine that cannot prevent infection, transmission, serious illness, or death is not actually capable of saving any lives. So the vaccine lives saved is still zero. And the vaccine lives destroyed or ended is still increasing. And the other thing you've got to remember is these are still only short-term consequences of the experimental gene therapy. In making the determination to limit the authorized use of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine, the agency considered that reporting rates of TTS and TTS deaths following administration of the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine are not appreciably lower than previously reported. Furthermore, the factors that put an individual at risk for TTS following administration of Janssen COVID-19 vaccine remain unknown. Well, thank goodness they've updated their analysis. The FDA also considered that individuals with TTS may rapidly deteriorate despite prompt diagnosis and treatment, that TTS can lead to long-term and debilitating health consequences, and that TTS has a high death rate. The agency also considered the availability of alternative authorized and approved COVID-19 vaccines, which provide protection from COVID-19 and have not been shown to present a risk for TTS. Right. Examples of individuals who may still receive the Janssen COVID-19 vaccine include individuals who experienced an anaphylactic reaction after receipt of an mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, there are people who had bad reactions to the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. I thought all of that was a conspiracy theory. So now we have the wholly owned FDA and CDC. And when I say wholly owned, I mean by the pharmaceutical companies that fund these agencies that we are told are our protection against potentially dangerous medications sold by the pharmaceutical companies. They're supposed to go through these layers of protection so that the FDA and CDC can make sure that the products of the pharmaceutical companies are actually safe for human consumption. But of course, they didn't really bother doing that. And then when the results actually started to come in about what these drugs were, we were told not to worry because the FDA and CDC had authorized them. Therefore, they must be safe and effective. And keep in mind, they're still trying to inject little children to save their lives from a disease that has killed absolutely none of them with a medication that doesn't actually protect them and does actually harm them. Now, this is the sort of news that in a normal, rational world would cause people to wake up and think, man. I was told these vaccines were very safe and very effective, but it turns out they're not. And I was lied to. And now I've injected myself with something that could potentially kill me. And you got to remember what they're referring to in this new FDA updated analysis are reactions that come right after getting the shot. But again, these are only short term results. We know about the risks of myocarditis, 
how cancer rates are skyrocketing, miscarriages and stillbirths. We know how the vaccines have affected women's menstrual cycles. There is nothing safe or effective about these vaccines, but we're being told they have just figured out there's this little problem just with the Johnson and Johnson, not the uh, not the mRNA vaccines. Those are very safe and effective still until, you know, a few more weeks or maybe a couple of months pass. And then they'll have to admit that those vaccines are not safe or effective either. And we've had plenty of reports on that. Back in February, they announced that the efficacy of Pfizer's shot had dropped to 12% for kids. And they said it's against the Omicron surge because they claim that the vaccine was only for OG COVID and not for these very scary variants. It's not that the vaccine doesn't work at all. It's just that the disease keeps changing. And the variant surges just happen to coincide with the booster cycles. Just random, though. I mean, look at the real world, right? I have often said, if masks work, why didn't they, right? If masks work, then it should have affected the spread of COVID. It should have affected the outcome somehow. But there's no proof anywhere in the world that the masks did do anything to prevent the spread of COVID. There should be overwhelming proof all around the world that the masks helped but they don't help. And the CDC finally had to admit that the cloth masks don't help. We know no one wears the N95s correctly, even if they are wearing them. We know people reuse them. The masks don't work. We would have seen the results of the masks working if the masks did work. Likewise, the vaccines don't work. If the vaccines worked, why didn't they? That's the question. Where are the results? And they can repeat the study statistics to us over and over and over again. Those studies are nonsense. We know they're nonsense. And we know that the data in those studies was ignored when the approvals happened. And that's why we're having this situation now where they have to reanalyze their data. But rather than accepting all of this and understanding the vaccines didn't help, They've actually killed a lot of people and maimed a lot of people, and we're going to find out sterilize a lot of people. We all need to actually do something about these grave crimes against humanity. People who are vaccinated will read this information and they'll think, oh, yeah, well, it is extremely, extremely rare and I'm still fine. So the vaccine must have been OK for me to take. It didn't affect my body the way it affected their body. Therefore, I don't need to be worried about the risk from this vaccine. People will actually adopt the position that they are immune from the vaccine and they will continue to take it. Could more doses of the vaccine have a cumulative effect? Of course they can. Are these people going to pay attention to that or even think about it? Not a chance. But hopefully those people do not represent the majority of people who have previously supported this vaccine. And hopefully people will wake up, stop getting booster shots, stop pushing the vaccine on other people, and definitely stop trying to inject it into children. 
And it's hard to think of these announcements as good news because they are admissions that the vaccine is killing people, which is very sad. But this is the news that helps. It is good that this news is out there in the mainstream and that the mainstream outlets are being forced to cover it, even if they're trying to cover it up. These headlines popping up in front of people who only pay attention to Google or Yahoo or whatever they sign on to their email in wherever they are reading their carefully curated commie news feed. They are still having to see this news, and that is very effective. Because people don't just change their minds on this stuff. They are going to deny it and avoid it for as long as they possibly can. Everybody's moment will be a little different, but hopefully a whole bunch of people had that moment yesterday where the doubt finally creeped in and they said, oh, okay, well, people have been saying these vaccines are not safe and effective for a pretty long time. Maybe it's time I start listening to those people. And speaking of listening to people who were right the entire time about stuff the communists want to deny and avoid. Tucker Carlson finally, finally mainstreamed indisputable evidence of the election being stolen yesterday on his show. He had Catherine Engelbrecht on from True the Vote to talk about the ballot harvesters, the ballot traffickers, the cartel of election fraud that was in full effect in 2020 and will be in full effect in 2022 as well, unless we get rid of the mail-in ballots and the drop boxes. Here's Tucker setting up the segment. The American people chose Joe Biden to be their next president by an enormous margin. The successful conduct of that election among the most secure in American history was not an accident. The 2020 election was the most secure election conducted in modern history. You're going to see states like Arizona and Georgia learn the wrong lesson from 2020, the most secure election ever. <laughs> That's just the most secure election ever. Really, Hair Hat? Tell us how. They can't tell us how. They're just lying. And maybe it was the most secure election ever, but we have a right to determine for ourselves if it was the most secure election ever, period. We have an absolute God-given right. And in fact, we need to, because we have an election coming up and then an election after that two years later. And if we're going to have confidence in the outcomes of those elections, and we pray we do, then we need to be absolutely certain we know what happened in 2020. Now, don't get me wrong. I am very, very happy that Tucker Carlson is finally covering the obvious and overwhelming evidence that the 2020 election was stolen on all levels, not just the presidential level. But hey, Tucker, where has that energy been for the last year and a half? That aside, it's great that what True the Vote has done is now part of the mainstream narrative. And the media is going to have to deal with this. Who knows how they'll do it? Distractions, false flags, fact-checking it into oblivion, probably all of those. But the facts are the facts. And here's Catherine Engelbrecht giving you the bottom line. Many of these temporary, temporary changes that were uh, put in place because of the pandemic, uh, those are now codified. So it's the new normal unless your state is pushing back. And, and, and you know, states need to run elections, no question about it. But they need to run those elections constitutionally. And that's that's the missing link that that began to emerge in 2020 is so what 
but you know, no matter what the Constitution says, uh, they're going to do what they want to do through lawfare and through consent decrees and through fiat. So if Americans don't wake up and recognize that, that this is what's happening, that there is an abuse of process, um, I mean, we, we, are, we are careening to a, a really ugly place. I mean, it was 2020, based upon our data, 2020 is beyond question. That outcome would have been different. And of course, that's correct. There is absolutely no way in the world Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes. Nothing could be less possible than that having legitimately occurred. The proof is everywhere. It has always been everywhere. And even just knowing the count of the vote and how it came in on Election Day and then, of course, after Election Day, the steal has been obvious the entire time. Now, of course, this is the sort of evidence that people who didn't believe it can look at and immediately understand there's no way this was the safest and most secure election of all time. That claim has always been absurd. And the fact that the communists staked out such an extreme position, not only was the election legitimate or fair, or maybe there were some problems, but Joe Biden won. That's not what they said. They said this is the safest and most secure election of all time. That election fraud is impossible, that there was no widespread fraud, no proof of anything. The courts rejected the evidence, even though the courts didn't see the evidence. And when they did often sided with the Trump side of things. So people will either watch the movie and be convinced, watch the movie and freak out and lie to everybody or simply ignore the movie. But I encourage all of you to watch it and to share it with people. It comes out this evening. You can just go to 2000mules.com. So how are they going to respond? Well, the first screenings of 2000 Mules happened in theaters around the country on Monday night. So on Tuesday morning, the Associated Press had a fact check on 2000 Mules. Fact focus gaping holes in the claim of 2000 ballot mules, a film debuting in over 270 theaters across the United States this week uses a flawed analysis of cell phone location data and ballot drop box surveillance footage to cast doubt on the results of the 2020 presidential election nearly 18 months after it ended and already riddled with mistakes. This is not just about the presidential election. This is about the 2020 general election, but these ballot frauds happened in more races than just Joe Biden's. Praised by former President Donald Trump as exposing great election fraud, the movie called 2000 Mules paints an ominous picture suggesting Democrat aligned ballot mules were supposedly paid to illegally collect and drop off ballots in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And some other states, too. But that's based on faulty assumptions, anonymous accounts and improper analysis of cell phone location data, which is not precise enough to confirm that somebody deposited a ballot into a drop box, according to experts. And again, to know that's false, all you have to do is listen to any of the presentations that have been made by Engelbrecht and Phillips of True the Vote. 
That cell phone location data is accurate to within 18 inches. And what they did was geofence the locations so that they could tell when a cell phone entered or exited that particular area. They know exactly where that device is, and they can even tell which floor of a building that device is on at a given moment. But of course, all the AP has to do is find one or two experts who say that's not how it works, and that's what they go with. So they have the opinion of a couple of experts versus all of the evidence in the film, all of the actual data that True the Vote is going to be making publicly available, and all of the countless other ways that election fraud in 2020 can be proven conclusively. They are only attempting to take advantage of our bias toward believing the central narrative. The news has repeated over and over and over again that the election was safe and secure. There's no way fraud could have changed the outcome. And it's a big lie if you say it. So people are predisposed to that viewpoint if they are connected to the central narrative. And so that bias is now being exploited to create doubt of what is clearly indisputable evidence of election fraud. They have it on video. They have it on video. People bringing all sorts of ballots to the Dropbox, taking pictures of themselves, fanning out 10 ballots so that they can get paid for it and shoving those ballots in the ballot box. They have the geolocation data that shows those same people going from the ballot box to the offices of the various left-wing NGOs who were setting up this ballot harvesting cartel. That's not the sort of thing you can just refute with the opinion of some experts. The movie was produced by conservative filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza and uses research from the Texas-based nonprofit True the Vote, which has spent months lobbying states to use its findings to change voting laws. Neither responded to a request for comment. Here's a closer look at the facts. Claim. At least 2,000 mules were paid to illegally collect ballots and deliver them to drop boxes in key swing states ahead of the 2020 presidential election. The facts. True the vote didn't prove this. The finding is based on false assumptions about the precision of cell phone tracking data and the reasons that someone might drop off multiple ballots, according to experts. Ballot harvesting is a pejorative term for dropping off completed ballots for people besides yourself. The practice is legal in several states, but largely illegal in the states True the Vote focused on, with some exceptions for family, household members, and people with disabilities. True the Vote has said it found some 2,000 ballot harvesters by purchasing $2 million worth of anonymized cell phone geolocation data, the pings that track a person's location based on app activity in various swing counties across five states. Then... By drawing a virtual boundary around a county's ballot drop boxes and various unnamed nonprofits, it identified cell phones that repeatedly went near both ahead of the 2020 election. Now, this whole article is pretty ridiculous. It seems like this person definitely has not seen the film and definitely has not listened to the case that Engelbrecht and Phillips have made for this work. The claims these fact checkers are making are dealt with in nearly every appearance these people make to talk about this work. 
The explanation goes on, but in the interest of time, I'm going to jump around here. If you want to read the whole fact check, you can find it on APnews.com. And the author is Ali Swenson. Here's the next claim that Ali Swenson is going to refute. In Philadelphia alone, True the Vote identified 1,155 mules who illegally collected and dropped off ballots for money. The facts. No, it didn't. The group hasn't offered any evidence of any sort of a paid ballot harvesting scheme in Philadelphia. And True the Vote did not get surveillance footage of drop boxes in Philadelphia. So the group based this claim solely on cell phone location data. Its researcher, Greg Phillips, said in March in testimony to Pennsylvania state senators, Pennsylvania state Senator Sharif Street, who was there for the group's testimony in March, told the AP he was confident he was counted as several of the group's 1,155 anonymous mules, even though he didn't deposit anything into a drop box in that time period. Street said he based his assessment on the fact that he carries a cell phone, a watch with a cellular connection, a tablet with a cellular connection, and a mobile hotspot, four devices whose locations can be tracked by private companies. He also said he typically travels with a staffer who carries two devices, bringing the total on his person to six. And he claims he went back and forth between the NGO office and the Dropbox locations because he was participating in Dropbox voting rallies. So they actually can't prove it was 1,155 different mules. It could be far fewer mules with lots of devices on them. And so he has accounted now for himself. So that's six of the devices. So now we only have 1,149 more mules to figure out because they were all probably also state senators and other people who have six devices on them at all times. But now that you can doubt six of the mules, you should doubt all of the mules and throw the claims out completely. The next claim. Some of the mules true the vote identified in Georgia were also geolocated at violent Antifa riots in Atlanta in the summer of 2020, showing they were violent far left actors. Setting aside the fact that the film doesn't prove these individuals were collecting ballots at all, it also can't prove their political affiliations. You got that? So that is not conclusive enough evidence for them to believe that these people might have been leftists. They visit ballot drop boxes, NGOs, and domestic terrorist events, commonly known as very peaceful BLM Antifa riots. But their political affiliations are highly questionable, and there's no way to prove that they were actually showing up at ballot drop boxes because we're still pretending, we're still pretending that the cell phone location data is not that accurate. The anonymized data True the Vote tracks doesn't explain why someone might have been present at a protest demanding justice for black deaths at the hands of police officers. The individuals who were tracked there could have been violent rioters, but they also could have been peaceful protesters, police or firefighters responding to the protests or business owners in the area. Yeah, sure. They could have been any of those things, but Also, people who visited the NGOs and the drop boxes five or 10 plus times. 
but you've got that little tiny sliver of doubt that you're supposed to put all sorts of weight on in order to avoid the obvious truth. And once you've had that little sliver of doubt, and once you really put a lot of weight into that sliver of doubt, well, then you can just dismiss the whole thing. Next claim. Alleged ballot harvesters were captured on surveillance video wearing gloves because they didn't want to leave fingerprints on the ballots. The facts. This is pure speculation. It ignores far more likely reasons for glove wearing in the fall and winter of 2020. Cold weather or COVID-19. And she explains how gloves are for all sorts of reasons. You couldn't possibly believe that they're just for this. And then she says, in a similarly speculative allegation, the film claims its supposed mules took photographs of ballots before they dropped them into drop boxes in order to get paid. But across the U.S., voters frequently take photos of their ballot envelopes before submitting them. And of course, you immediately think of all those celebrities who were paid to take pictures and videos of themselves dropping their ballots into Mark Zuckerberg's ballot drop boxes all around the country. Remember that Jennifer Aniston, a whole bunch of little influencers on Instagram taking their ballot picture, shoving it into the drop box. That's the first thing you're supposed to think of. Oh, yes. Everybody always loves to take pictures of themselves dropping their ballot off and then one with their little I voted sticker. And knowing that you should understand that there's absolutely nothing weird about taking a picture of yourself with 10 ballots in your hand fanned out so that they can all be clearly seen before you shove them into the drop box. And that just happens over and over and over and over and over again. But it's not part of anything bigger. It's just what people like to do. Are they documenting their own criminal activity? Yes. But can we pretend it's something else? Okay, also yes. As long as we're ready to pretend that reality is something entirely different than it is, well, you can pretty much excuse anything. Very bold strategy. You can see why they use it all the time for absolutely everything. The last claim. If it weren't for this ballot collection scheme, former President Donald Trump would have had enough votes to win the 2020 election. The facts. This alleged scheme has not been proven, nor do these researchers have any way of knowing whether any ballots that were collected contained votes for Trump or for Biden. That's right. The ballots coming from the NGO offices and going directly to the drop boxes in the hands of these ballot mules, it is impossible to know which candidate was selected on those ballots. It's anyone's guess. You know, it was probably even. There's no evidence a massive ballot harvesting scheme dumped a large amount of votes for one candidate into drop boxes. And if there were, it would likely be caught quickly, according to Derek Muller, a law professor at the University of Iowa. You got that? So all the evidence in the film is null and void because Derek Muller says it probably didn't happen. Once you get just a few people involved, people start to reveal the scheme because it unravels pretty quickly. He said, oh, well, there is just a wonderful take. Does True the Vote have whistleblowers? Yeah, they do. The scheme is already unraveled. It's just not all publicly available yet. These people are crazy. 
like they write these fact checks that are going to last for a week and they don't even care because all they want to do is create that doubt initially so that people will ignore it or so that people will be predisposed to disbelieving what they see. And here's a big one for the conclusion. Absentee ballots are also verified by signature and tracked closely, often with an option for voters themselves to see where their ballot is at any given time. Being able to track your ballot in the mail is irrelevant to this issue. That process safeguards against anyone who tries to illegally cast extra ballots. According to Barry Burden, a University of Wisconsin-Madison political science professor and the director of the Elections Research Project, it seems impossible in that system for a nefarious actor to dump lots of ballots that were never requested by voters and were never issued by election officials, Burden said. Again, who is claiming that? Who's claiming that? They sent absentee ballots out to everyone. That's what happened in Georgia and other states. They sent them to everyone in the voter registry, regardless of whether or not a voter requested them. All they need to do at that point is know where to pick those ballots up, which is exactly what they knew and exactly what they did. As for signature matching, we know they didn't do that. That is already well evidenced in Arizona and many other states. In Arizona, they eliminated the signature matching requirements entirely. And they talk about this close tracking, but in Georgia, which is what they're talking about, and in Arizona and in other states, they don't have chain of custody documentation for these ballots, even after they got to the drop boxes. This debunking, this fact check doesn't disprove the claims of the movie at all. It only proposes alternative options for how the phenomenon could have happened in very certain limited cases and then expects you to expand that doubt into all of the cases and assume that there must be a very reasonable explanation for all of the claims of the movie. All of the evidence they have, it is not evidence. They say there is no evidence after determining that all the evidence isn't evidence because they can think of creative ways those things could have happened. It is impossible to even take this stuff seriously. So go check the movie out for yourself. 2000mules.com. I'm certainly going to watch it this weekend, maybe this evening. Trump has a rally tonight and he's supposed to be screening 2000 mules before the rally. I wonder if that is going to be broadcast as well, but we shall see. This is going to get really interesting really quickly. And before I get to the final topic, which is the lawsuit filed by the attorneys general in Missouri and Louisiana, the news just came out that. Marjorie Taylor Greene will be allowed to run for reelection in Georgia in the midterms. She is not being disqualified for engaging in insurrection. So that whole ploy has once again failed. Nice try, commies. So last night, the attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri, that's Jeff Landry and Eric Schmidt, filed a lawsuit against Joe Biden, Jen Psaki, Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, Javier Becerra, 
the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Anthony Fauci, the NIAID, the CDC, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Department of Homeland Security, Jen Easterly, the director of CISA, CISA itself, and Nina Jankowitz, the director of the Ministry of Truth, otherwise known as the Disinformation Governance Board, claiming that all of these government officials and their agencies have directly violated the First Amendment and other laws in working with the big tech companies to censor Americans. And I'm going to share some of their complaints. The nature of the action. In 1783, George Washington warned that if, quote, the freedom of speech may be taken away, then dumb and silent, we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. The freedom of speech in the United States now faces one of its greatest assaults by federal government officials in the nation's history. A private entity violates the First Amendment, quote, if the government coerces or induces it to take action, the government itself would not be permitted to do, such as censor expression of a lawful viewpoint. The government cannot accomplish through threats of adverse government action what the Constitution prohibits it from doing directly. So basically, the idea is that if the government can't do something legally, according to the Constitution, it is also not allowed to delegate the authority to do that to a private entity or a non-governmental entity. They can't get around basic constitutional limitations on what the government's allowed to do by farming that work out to other entities. That is exactly what has occurred over the past several years, beginning with express and implied threats from government officials and culminating in the Biden administration's open and explicit censorship programs. Having threatened and cajoled social media platforms for years to censor viewpoints and speakers disfavored by the left, senior government officials in the executive branch have moved into a phase of open collusion with social media companies to suppress disfavored speakers, viewpoints, and content on social media platforms under the Orwellian guise of halting so-called disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. And remember, we talked about mis and dis and malinformation yesterday. Misinformation is something you communicated that is wrong, even though you had no bad intention behind communicating it. Disinformation is something that's wrong, that you communicated to mislead someone. And malinformation is something that's not wrong, but you communicated it to mislead someone anyway. You supplied real information that people heard and then got the wrong idea about, which means that the true information didn't lead them to the conclusions the government approves of. The aggressive censorship that defendants have procured constitutes government action for at least five reasons. And this part is really key. OK, these are direct examples of how the government has used its influence to violate the First Amendment, not directly, but in conjunction with the tech companies. One, absent federal intervention, 
common law and statutory doctrines, as well as voluntary conduct and natural free market forces would have constrained the emergence of censorship and suppression of speech of disfavored speakers, content and viewpoint on social media. And yet two through Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act and other actions, the federal government subsidized, fostered, encouraged and empowered the creation of a small number of massive social media companies with disproportionate ability to censor and suppress speech on the basis of speaker content and viewpoint. Three, such inducements as Section 230 and other legal benefits, such as the absence of antitrust enforcement, constitute an immensely valuable benefit to social media platforms and incentive to do the bidding of federal officials. So the idea here and at many points throughout the lawsuit is that Section 230 works as a carrot and a stick for the big tech companies. Section 230 is what allows them to act as a publisher, but not be treated as one. They get to decide what's on the platform and what's not allowed to be on the platform. Section 230 eliminates their liability from that. Because up till now, they have not been made liable for those decisions. Section 230 has allowed them to grow exponentially and create all this profit without that liability. And so the government can then use the threat of taking away Section 230 to demand that the tech companies do what they want. Four, federal officials, including most notably certain defendants herein, have repeatedly and aggressively threatened to remove these legal benefits and impose other adverse consequences on social media platforms if they do not aggressively censor and suppress disfavored speakers, content, and viewpoints on their platforms. And five, defendants herein, colluding and coordinating with each other, have also directly coordinated and colluded with social media platforms to identify disfavored speakers, viewpoints, and content, and thus have procured the actual censorship and suppression of the freedom of speech. These factors are both individually and collectively sufficient to establish government action in the censorship and suppression of social media speech. Defendants campaign of censorship has culminated in the recent announcement of the creation of a disinformation governance board within the Department of Homeland Security. Our constitutional tradition stands against the idea that we need Oceania's Ministry of Truth and Oceania is directly from Orwell's 1984. Likewise, our constitutional tradition stands against the idea that we need a disinformation governance board within our federal domestic security apparatus. As a direct result of these actions, there has been an unprecedented rise of censorship and suppression of free speech, including core political speech on social media platforms, not just fringe views but perfectly legitimate, responsible viewpoints and speakers have been unlawfully and unconstitutionally silenced in the modern public square. These actions gravely threaten the fundamental right of free speech and free discourse for virtually all citizens in Missouri, Louisiana, and America, both on social media and elsewhere. So that's essentially the case that they lay out in what follows in the lawsuit. They go into how there was an obvious campaign to 
censor any dissenting thought when it comes to the Hunter Biden laptop, when it comes to COVID-19 information regarding the lab leak theory, when it comes to the efficacy of mask mandates and lockdowns. All of this is just blown up throughout the case. And then the election integrity issues as well. All of these instances of massive censorship campaigns are fully outlined in this lawsuit. And for people unfamiliar with that stuff, it is a good reminder of what those stories really were step by step and how the narrative was manipulated by this exact form of censorship led by the Democrat Communist Party and the Uniparty government. So we'll have to see how this plays out how Biden's administration, how Merrick Garland might try to defend the fake administration from these charges. But these two attorneys general are demanding that the courts recognize these government officials have not only violated the Constitution, but have exceeded their own authority in what they're attempting to do in the first place. All of this is extraordinarily illegal, and it is an attack on our most basic rights as citizens. Obviously, I don't know what timeline this is going to play out along, but hopefully the courts will overturn all of this immediately. And I'm glad to see something is finally being done about this. So Trump rally tonight, 2000 mules this weekend. And in case you're feeling like your bed's not comfortable enough, support this show, support the great American patriot, Mike Lindell and his great American company, MyPillow, by going to MyPillow.com and using the promo code reasonable, you will receive big sales across the entire website and you'll get a free gift. I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'mYourModerator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!